All right. Hey, listeners, this is William Sterling, and you are listening to the Killer Mediums podcast, where we talk about all your favorite horror tropes and how they manifest across all your favorite mediums mediums of entertainment. Today's topic is coming of age horror, and we are joined by guest S.L. Coney. We will start with a broad discussion about the subgenre and how creation myths tie in with these tales. Uh, But then as a warning, we'll dive into some pretty light spoilers about Stephen Graham Jones's Mongrels and Shaw's upcoming book, Wild Spaces. Uh, So if you're spoiler spoiler averse, I can't talk today. This is a bad start. If you're spoiler averse, you should turn back now. But with that said and out of the way, here we go. Let's get spooky. Coroners tied bells to everybody in the morgue. So if they heard a ting, they knew somebody down there wasn't quite ready to go. Shaw, thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me here. I appreciate it. Of course. Um, I was telling you this right before we started recording, but I'm very excited to do this episode because for the last few uh, episodes of this show, I have had guests on here talking about topics that are not necessarily my favorites. So I was very upfront with Ross about this. I'm not sharing any secrets here. <laughs> like grief horror with Ross Jeffrey. Mm-hmm. I struggled with that. Oh no. Uh, coming yeah. of age horror is my jam though. I love this so yeah. very much. So to get to talk to you about it, I'm just I'm so hyper excited. Excellent. It's you know, it's one of my favorite subjects too, and it's so prevalent across the genre. Like it's just it's everywhere. Um and I think there's a reason for that. So I'm really looking forward to discussing this with you. So Yeah, we we were bouncing around some ideas for the episode and I we must have had 10 different works that we were bouncing back and forth. I know as much as I talk about loving Robert McCammon's Boy's Life, like mm-hmm. to do a coming of age episode without mentioning that on it is going to feel kind of odd to me. Uh-huh. Um, but I think we've got a really good episode set up here. Like there's mm-hmm. just so much stuff we could have pulled from. I love the stuff we landed on. Yeah. So before we go too far down that rabbit hole, let's introduce you to everybody. So um, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? What is your niche in the horror community? And uh, can you kind of set up Wild Spaces for us a little bit? Absolutely. So um, a little bit about me. Oh, my goodness. So I have a master's degree in uh, clinical psych, and that really informs a lot of my writing. Uh, so when we, I guess when we talk about niches, uh, I really write about people and I really write about relationships because that's what I'm curious about. I'm curious about how we relate to one another and how like our relationships, how those systems of relationships, um, either grow or break down and like the causes of that, um, And so everything that I I write, you know, whatever monster might be there, whatever bad guy might be there, um, there's always going to be a focus on the character and on the relationships. And, um, you know, on top of that, I, uh, you know, I'm 
live in St. Louis and I just, you know, uh, write and work and I have dogs and, you know, just uh, uh, live my life. But, you know, uh, and with Wild Spaces, you get some of that relationship. You know, it's really about relationships. It's really about families and those systems, how, uh, you know, we think of in, in psychology, we think of families as being systems. And so these, how these systems work, and it's really about this disintegration. It's about this family that is a good family, and it really works. And then we have an outsider come in, uh, you know, the estranged uh, grandfather, um, the mother's father, and he comes in, and he's just this toxic personality. And, uh, you know, there's... um, secrets and there's uh, changes happening because it's that coming of age horror and uh, you know it's the boy just trying to find his way through all of this and figure out what is going on and what's happening with his family. So I'm very interested in in those relationships. I'm very interested in body horror. Um, So most of what I write has a little bit of body horror in it and uh, I think that's just because uh, you know, I have a chronic illness and like my body started doing things that was weird to me. And I'm just like, what is going on? You know, and it wasn't the body that I had known. And that really started me down that path of like writing body heart when your body is just doing things that are not what you're used to. Right. And like you have no control over. Um, so like taking that and taking it to the monstrous uh, is a lot of fun. So, yeah. Awesome. Really good pitch. And you, you hit on a couple of things. I know we're going to circle back to in the episode. Um, first out of the gates, the dog, we are going to talk mm-hmm. about dogs. Yes. <laughs> a lot in this episode <laughs> I'm anticipating, but beyond that, like the family systems and the, the body horror aspect of it. And just like how all of that is so relatable, especially when packaged through the eyes of a child. Getting a little bit more broad here, um, we, we, you kind of started on this uh, with your description of Wild Spaces, but if we've got a coming of age episode on our hands here, what are some of the key things that you feel like a coming of age horror novel needs to set up? Uh, mm-hmm. And then what are kind of some of the some of the beat points that it needs to hit to be a true good coming of age story? Absolutely. I feel like, you know, coming at the age is really, um, I'm going to bring it back to relationships again, because, you know, it's about our relationships with our friends, and it's about the relationships with our families, and how we are changing, and how those are changing. And there's always some truth that is revealed in coming of age. There is always like, you know, I'm thinking, I'm going to bring some other works into it. I apologize, but like, I'm yep. thinking like uh, Stephen King's It or um, The Body, right? Or, or, or some of these works that he does where um, you've got like the friends that come in and the friends become kind of this family um, and they're struggling with like, you know, the problems with their fathers and they're struggling with, you know, so all of this is very much kind of coming of age, right? Um, because coming of age is when we start really questing to try and find ourselves and we start dealing with um, like, like, 
you're not just doing what your family tells you. you you're setting out on your own and you start to see your family in a different light. Um, and you have, you know, you start to see, you know, if you like, if you take wild spaces where he's like in, in, the, in this idyllic kind of family, right, where he's seeing things that is, uh, you know, he's seeing things a very certain way and then things are revealed and it's like, oh, you don't know this about your family or you're discovering this about your family. And, you know, when we're all growing up, it's like, you know, you can grow up and when you're little, you might think your dad is the best person in the world. Right. And then as you're growing up and you start to see him through new eyes and you start to realize that, you know, maybe he's not the person that you thought he was, um, you know, and you start to question it's like, you know, and your parents become like, oh, they don't want you to have any fun. And they are, you know, so you start to question things. Um, so coming of age is really about this, this questioning and these, this discovery of yourself and your place in the world and how the world works and how your family works. Um, so I think all of those things kind of fall into that coming of age piece. I like it. And I like that you already kind of teed up veering off into it at some point, because um, I, I think that's one of these quintessential coming of age stories. Also, um, let's go ahead and do a little bit of a deep dive here on wild spaces. We're going a little out of order from what we had from the structure we had set, but uh, we do that every single episode. It seems like so. we'll just keep with the trend. Um, you said that the boy um, and he never gains a name in the story, right? It, no. It's always no. the boy. Okay. It's always the boy. Yeah. The, the boy starts the story with this very idyllic um, family system. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because as I was reading it, it was very much a, this seems too good to be true sort of a setup. Mm -hmm. um, and I wasn't sure... I wasn't sure if that was just trying to be especially optimistic in the beginning so that the fall comes down that much harder or if there was any more subtext there that you were trying to drive at or what what is what is going on with the family at the beginning of this story through your eyes. Absolutely. Um, so I think we have two things that are happening there. Um, one is that this is a bit of a fable. Right. And so you kind of start out from this like the perfect place. Right. Um, so like you have you have Cinderella and she has her mother and her father and then the mother dies. Right. Or so you, you kind of start from this place of like good and then things were worse. OK, so first you have that because it is a bit of a fable. Then you also have, you know, when we're little, we have a very if we're lucky, we have a very curated vision of our family. You know, uh, our family tries to present, uh, you know, this, this picture to us, you know, maybe they don't argue in front of the kids. Um, and they have a very limited, like they have no scope to the past. They don't know what their mother and their father did in the past. They have no idea about their lives. They may not even think about that they had lives. They're just mom and dad, right? Um, so part of it is also looking at it from this, this kid's perspective of like, you know, the, the kind of like lifting his parents up and kind of idolizing them and that this is life. And, you know, he's young. So he's got this very limited view of his family, um, you know, and in the sense of the book, I really tried to give um, I really tried to give this feeling of isolation 
in the book. Like we don't venture out much into the outside world because that's how the boy has kind of grown up. Um, you know, he's got his mom and his dad, but there's no other family around. Um, and so it, it's this very limited view of what of where you come from and what your mom and dad is like. And so that was very intentional. So based on that, a couple of different ways that I want to take this off here, that kind of worldview that the kids have of their parents can do no wrong. Everything is uh, very rainbows and sunshine in a kid's Mm -hmm. world. Even when things are going wrong, usually they don't recognize it, even if it's happening right in front of them. Um, I've, I've got a three-year-old kid right now. Uh, and I think the most, um, the most, uh, innocent way I can, I can try to connect to what you were just saying was, um, the other day I, I have, I have a bit of a language problem. Um, and I stubbed my toe in front of him and I just yelled out, fuck. So mm-hmm. he's walking around the next couple of days, dropping F-bombs left and right. <laughs> Buddy, what do you think that means? It means you it means you made a mistake. Well, yeah. Yeah. Sure. Um, maybe let's stop. Let's say I made a mistake instead then. But it, it's yeah. just that innocence, like this this taboo thing he just engaged with, with absolutely no ill will, absolutely no sense of right or wrong about it. It was just another thing. Yeah. Um, so I like that kind of coming across there. Um, but with you saying that this presents as kind of a fable, I think this is a good connecting point. Let's step away from wild spaces for just a second. You had something really interesting in your pitch for this episode where you said that you wanted to talk about creation myths uh, and how they connect to coming of age horror. Is there a good segue here from fables into creation myths? Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, when we think about creation stories, right, um, and I'm just, I'm going to take it from like the the predominant one here in the Western, you know, world here. Um, if we think about the Garden of Eden, okay, and we think about this story of Adam and Eve, okay, and we think of it not in a religious context, but in a literature context, okay, Um if we think about it, uh, you know, childhood, if we're lucky, childhood is like this Eden. It is this time of innocence where you are living in this protected world. You know, you are um, cloistered, you're looked after, you don't have to worry about meeting any of your needs because everything is met for you. Um, so you're really living kind of this, this idyllic kind of of life and then you know something happens or a monster shows up and something rips away that innocence and suddenly you see the world and you see yourself and you see you know you realize oh my gosh I'm naked or you know naked is bad right it's not just you're running around the house completely naked there's nothing wrong and it's just you're free of clothes right and so it's fun to do it um so like you realize kind of the, 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 this knowledge behind it of the meaning of that and, and how that is seen in our culture and everything. So like it, it, these, the, you know, this myth is our, our story is very much um, a coming of age story 
Adam and Eve come of age in the garden. They, they, you know, they listen to the monster and the monster leads them down this path of knowledge. And then they go on this grand adventure and there's murder and there's, you know, all this kind of stuff and this realization and the loss of safety and they see the world and they realize the world. So it's very much a coming of age story. Um, it's just done in like fast time. So. I love that. The stripping of innocence, getting sent out into the world. Okay. Okay. Um, I see this now. I, I see the connection you were, you were making. I had no clue where you were going with that when you sent the email, but this makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah. Is that pretty universal across other creation myths? Uh, this is a huge blind spot for me. I'm, I'm not very well versed in creation myths from here or there or anywhere. You know, I am, I am not either. Um, and I feel like I have a very blind spot when it comes to other traditions and other, you know, other cultures and everything like that so I don't want to say so I know like within you know kind of what we think of like the Abrahamic religions right then you know it is and and the uh I, I feel like there are a lot of um there are a lot of stories there are a lot of myths that fall into that kind of the 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 innocence and that loss of innocence that you know I don't know if it ties into creation so much but it certainly does you know in our culture so yeah okay yeah um so then bringing it back to wild spaces uh another thing that's come up uh at this point is the the main character being referred to as just the boy through the course of uh the story so what was the inspiration for that what's what's kind of trying to be be presented through that um, I think it's interesting and unique to withhold a uh, protagonist's name. I know it's happened in other books. I just can't think of any off the top of my head. Uh, mm -hmm. But what was your what was your motivation for that? Um, you know, it's uh, you know, one, it is thinking about family relationships, right? He's the boy, and it's this very innocent kind of way of thinking about it, right? He's the boy. And you have the mom and you have the dad. And when you're young, the mom and dad doesn't really have names. They're just mom and dad. Right. Um, so there's that aspect of it. And then there's also the aspect of it, of, of this fable, you know, and it's not, you know, it's like the prince or the knight. Look, they didn't necessarily have names. Um, and so by leaving it kind of blank like this, I'm hoping that I'm kind of cueing readers in to the type of story this is, that the way that the boy is thinking Um and also like just really trying to leave room for the reader to come in and just think about things and, you know, bring themselves into the story a little bit too, right? Uh, like in my mind, he totally has a name, um, but uh, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't think of himself. He's not talking to himself in third person, like, you know, oh, Shaw is going to walk up, you know, like, you know, he's just he's a boy right and so and then the dog the dog has a name because you he names the dog you know if you have something and you love it you should name it um and so you know so the dog has a name so and the dog's name is can i can i spoil this yeah that's fine yeah <laughs> the dog's name is teach which is brilliant um <laughs> i love all the pirate references throughout this book um yeah I grew up for a lot of my childhood in North Carolina. So uh, one of my- Oh, so cool. Was, yeah, going, going, yeah. Up the, uh, going up the coastal islands and seeing uh -huh. all the old pirate holes and- uh, Yeah. 
Well, what is your connection with pirates? What inspired you to have this this childhood be so pirate centric? Because I'm so jealous of the boy mom telling him pirate <laughs> stories every night. Um, you know, I don't. It was just one of those things that popped up when I'm first kind of thinking about character. Um, because I start all my stories, I might have an idea or I might have a picture or something like that. But like, you know, I always kind of start the development of a story with the character. Um, and kids always have these things that they're fascinated with. Um, and I knew that this was going to be a story that was set at the ocean. And I'm just like, oh, you know, it's got to be pirates. Um, so uh, and I have a friend who is really into pirates and uh, so uh, had listened to her talk a lot about pirates and I'm like okay um so uh it was just like okay it's you know I'm from South Carolina myself um I'm from the beach and so it just seemed like a natural place to go with that um especially with the themes there there are a lot of themes about history and um that's and kind of the natural world and the natural sciences so like pirates seem to fit really well with all of that so yeah okay and then uh, sticking with the dog for a second, let's let's dive into this. We've talked about the family structure a couple of times uh, at this point. We we've mentioned kind of the the typical composition uh, of a family structure, but we haven't mentioned dogs yet. And I feel like that is such an integral part of families that have a dog. Like if if you are not a dog family, it's fine. No judgment. <laughs> But if you're a dog family, the dog's part of the family, right? Yeah. So yeah. Um, this is also a weirdly um, common theme for our works today. So we've got mm -hmm. dogs in wild spaces and we've got dogs in mongrels. Um, <laughs> from your perspective, what's the connection here with boys and their dogs? <laughs> um, I mean, you know, our pets are when we're growing up, our pets are our best friend, right? Like they live with us. They are, they are usually, they're like the sibling that doesn't get in our way, <laughs> you know, like, like you have like the siblings and you get really irritated at your siblings because they, you know, they're mean to you or they won't do, you know, they always want to stick around or they, you know, won't let you do what you want to do, all this kind of stuff, you know. Well, the dog is not that person. The dog is the sibling who is always there and is always ready for an adventure. Um, so, like, you know, it's, it's, it's somebody that you can grow really close to. Um, and, you know, they just, dogs have an empathy, I think. Um, and so they just form really close bonds with us. So it's very natural that if you have a dog in your family, that like the kid is close to it and it becomes like this big memory, this big part of your childhood, you know, like everybody can talk about the dog they had when they were growing up. Um, it's just not something you forget, you know. Do you want to do that for a second? Sure. Favorite memory uh, with your dog growing up? Oh my goodness. Um, so I, you know, this is going to be a little odd, not like favorite memory maybe, but like, um, just like this, I had, I had a little, uh, uh, West Highland White Terrier growing up, um, got her when I was in middle school, like it took me all of elementary school to wear my mom down to let me get a dog. Her name was Trinket. Um, and she was just very loving, very, you know, she was the quintessential dog. And, uh, but we were playing one time and just 
we got really rough with the playing and um, like just pulling, you know, we were pulling at stuff and she's hopping around and she's so excited and she ended up biting me on the back, um, which was really interesting because she had never been a biter and she was not a biter after that. She just got really excited and just bit me on the back and uh, like just like she knew that she had done something she shouldn't have done that, you know, that I was hurt. And like, she just like stayed in my lap the rest of the day and just would not like budge from my side. Um, so she totally knew what she had done and was just, you know, very, uh, uh, I don't know if she was trying to say she was sorry or what, you know, but like just remembering that empathy um, and that like the love that she showed me um, after that was uh, very um, just sticks in my mind. You know, she is uh, one of the best dogs. So yeah. they can yeah. be such pure creatures. They can, they can. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I've also had, I had a Pekingese at one point that was a terror. Like he, he hated everybody, but, uh, but you know, but you still love them. Um, so such pure creatures, not always. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. Um, so let's, let's get to the turn then. Um, so we've set up all of this positivity and good, good feelings and good vibes. Um, but then without fail in the coming of age stories, like you said, the outsider gets introduced, whether that's, you know, puberty or whether that's a grandfather showing up or whether that's a grandfather going away. Um, something happens in coming of age stories that's going to challenge the youngling uh, and the the a whole foundation of their world so yeah. um keep any spoilers to yourself that you want to <laughs> but when we get to this point in wild spaces um how much of that would you like to set the stage for for our readers versus how much should we pivot to mongrels now so we can talk a little more freely because that one's been out for a while yeah yeah um i mean i can talk a little bit about it um you know the grandfather shows up and um just you know it's it's obvious he's a surprise like nobody expected him to come um and the welcome is less than warm um and so you know and at this point the kid doesn't even know he has a grandfather like, he's just like, what is going on? So he, you know, he has to spend a, a good deal of time about trying to figure out what's going on. And, and the adults are talking in ways he doesn't understand, right? Um, they're talking about things that are over his head, because you, they, you know, adults do this kind of code talking, right? Like, you know, they'll talk about something and that you don't have the context, or they'll talk, and then they'll stop when you come in the room, or, you know, something like that. So, you know, he's trying to figure this out. This is a new experience for him. Um, so yeah, and so that's, you know, the rest of the book is really just playing off of that and like how he's dealing with that and how the family is dealing with that and um, the, you know, the, the climax, which I'm not going to spoil, but <laughs> you know, <So>. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, that, that climax, uh, nobody should take that climax's power away from it because it hits <laughs> when it hits. Okay. Um, but something that really impressed me when I was reading the story was how delicate you were with the grandfather and with those conversations that the kid 
didn't necessarily clue in on, but the readers were able to clue in on a little bit. Uh, you walked this very fine line with both of them, starting with the grandfather, creating somebody that you know is off, but you don't know why you know they're off. Um, I have such a hard time pinpointing that in real life when I have all of my senses going full force. Like, what is wrong with this person? Why am I getting these vibes from them? To have only words coming off of a page and still being able to trigger that sort of a feeling is just wonderfully impressive. Um, oh, well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Wanted to heap, heap the prick there. Um, <laughs> I know that a lot of the people listening to this podcast are writers or creatives in the field. Do you have any tips or any advice on how to create realistic but soft-spoken tension in a family dynamic well I mean you know like and I'm picturing so I'm like picturing the scene where he's talking to the grandson like the first time they actually really talk right and the kid is eating lunch and like I don't know how many times I rewrote that scene um like I rewrote it a lot I rewrote it over and over and over until it was perfect <laughs> or as perfect as I could make it. I don't want to say it was perfect, but it was as perfect as I could make it. Um, and, you know, it's about, you know, if you have to put everything on the page, but then you got to pull it back, you got to pull back and you've got to like people, a lot of times when they're talking, they'll say things that are kind of adjacent to what they mean. You know, they'll say things and it's not just straight out. People don't, you know, just say straight out a lot of times what they mean. They'll kind of play around it. You know, they'll hint at things and they'll. So like dialogue is really important. Um, and then when you're describing things, you know, you've got to like you've just you've got to really show restraint and pull back. Um, there were a lot of times I was just like, oh, no, that's too much. I got I got to pull this off the page. And um so it just takes a lot of patience and a lot of kind of digging into those, you know, like you're talking about that you're seeing these uh, people in in real life, you know, and kind of digging into those and like, you don't really know what it is, but there's just something, there's just something that is off. And so like, just, just, you know, going back and forth and building that up and, you know, don't hit the reader over the head with a sledgehammer um, kind of thing, right? Um, okay. So I don't know if that's helpful at all, um, but just it was, that scene was probably one of the harder scenes to write. So patience and continuing to work. <laughs> yes, yes. There's a, there's a quote, oh my goodness, and I can't remember it right now, but it's, it goes something along the lines that like, you know, if you have this work, you have to love it. And to love it, you have to like really dig into it and you have to like just continue to show it that love till it gets to that point where you need it to be. Um, so like, yeah, just showing it, like showing a lot of patience and showing it a lot of love um, to get it where you imagine it to be. So. Um, I think this is a good point for us to introduce mongrels because... Mm -hmm when it comes to dialogue and when it comes to um, 
let, let's call it non-traditional ways of phrasing things. Uh, Stephen Graham Jones is very good at this uh, mm -hmm. um, and, and kind of using dialogue as a weapon. So would you mind kind of set the stage for us here? If any of our listeners have not read Mongrels yet, what is the basic premise of this story uh, and what inspired you to add it to our list for today? So the basic premise of, of Mongrels is that coming of age story uh, where there is a young boy who grows up and he's listening to the stories from his grandfather, right? Um, and, you know, he's living in this family. He lives with his grandfather and his mother and his uncle. And he's, um, you know, they are werewolves, or at least that's what the grandfather keeps telling him, right? That they're werewolves. And so, you know, it's about him trying to fit in with his family and trying to be like his family. And it is kind of dealing with maybe the possibility that he's not like them and that he wants to be like them. And this kind of, this this um, just nomad life that they live, like I just love the world. Stephen Graham Jones has done such wonderful work with this world with like, you know, and he does so many things about talking like all the ways that a werewolf can die, right? <laughs> and it's not just, it's not just silver bullets, right? It's like, there's all this other stuff that is like, you know, like how long did he sit and think, because <laughs> it's wonderful, it's wonderful. Um, so like, I'm a huge fan of Stephen Graham Jones in case you haven't figured that out. Um, so um, as we all, re <laughs> as we all should be. Um, and so the reason that I wanted to bring this in is just because like, it's one of my favorite coming of age stories. Um, it is so well written and like, there's so much heart to it and uh, so much of that family dynamic and so much of the, you know, just the um, longing. There's always this longing in coming of age stories, right? People are always longing for something. Um, and I feel like as kids, we can long for things that uh, we long for things harder than we can as adults sometimes, right? And so, uh, and, and, there's more possibilities when we're kids and it's just uh he captures it all so very well um it was the first work that i i ever read of stephen graham jones was mongrels and like i just put it down and i just loved him and hated him in equal parts because i would never write like that and so um like he just i you know he inspires me i uh and so just to you know kind of talk about that you know, and there is the dog piece, although the dog piece is very, uh, very different from the dog piece in Wild Spaces. But, you know, yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, <laughs> very different. Yeah. Um, OK, so uh, adding my own praise on here, um, I read The Only Good Indians and that was my first Stephen Graham Jones. And then I'm I'm knees deep in the um, My Heart is a Chainsaw trilogy, whatever the trilogy name for that, yeah. that run is. Um, and then you brought me brought me back in his catalog to Mongrels here, and he's just brilliant. As much love as he poured into his slasher novels, mm -hmm. clearly the man watches billions of hours of slasher movies. Okay, so maybe werewolves, he'll just kind of be more surface level with it. Like, there's no way he can go half as deep with werewolves as he did with slashers. And oh, no, here he goes. He knows just as much about werewolves. He's thought about this just as much. Yes. It's so fun. Yeah. But as I was reading it, I was struck by uh, kind of the paradox of how 
Mongrels feels like the exact opposite book of Wild Spaces in mm -hmm. so many ways. And yet there are oh, yeah. so many parallels despite that. Mm -hmm. um, so starting just surface level with the family structures, mm -hmm. um, you kind of hinted at this already, but in Wild Spaces, we've got the boy coming from this idyllic uh, family structure and then everything kind of falls apart. In mm -hmm. Mongrels, his family is wounded at the beginning, yeah. uh, and it only yeah. gets worse. Uh, yes. it, there is a, uh, the, the mom's dead before the book even starts, no dad yeah. in the picture. He's being raised by his aunt, his uncle, and his grandfather. His aunt's in an abusive relationship. The, yeah. the uncle is constantly looking for work. There's all of these odd power dynamics and them fighting in back rooms right outside of the kids' field of vision. And yeah. it just hits totally differently than Wild Spaces. And yet we've still got the same kind of plot structure with the kid growing up uh, and, and having to kind of grow and learn his own place among this family structure. So would you like to talk for a minute about just how these different family structures can set the stage for these um, coming of age stories. What mm -hmm. kind of role do the families play in these different stories that differentiates from one another? Kind of, I'm not getting to a good question here, but take it <laughs> however you would like. <laughs> okay, sure. Um, I mean, you know, I think speaking of like mongrels, I think mongrels is probably, you know, it, it's, it's much more representative of like what we see, like the idyllic family um, is, is, I mean, that is exactly what it is. It's idyllic. Right. Um, but like families come in so many shapes and so many sizes, but the thing that does not change about the family is the impact that the family has on us. Okay. Like the family in whatever form and whatever shape, the family kind of sets the stage for the rest of our life, you know? Um, nobody can hurt us like family, nobody, whether it's intentional or not, you know, um, it, you know, especially in psychology, it's just like, you know, everything goes back to childhood and everything goes back to the family and, and these systems. And one of the things that I was exploring in wild spaces is the way that these systems kind of perpetuate. And like, if they get into kind of like a maladaptive coping way of coping or a way of interacting with each other it's generational and it kind of like it goes and we see this in mongrels as well right so like you know they're trying to raise the kid and you know the aunt really wants uh the kid to grow up and to be separate and be apart from all of this um but like he's, 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 he's enmeshed in this, this way of life. And of course he wants to be like his family, you know, he wants to be like them because, you know, everybody wants to fit in whatever that is. And so, you know, we, we, uh, so in his, you know, there, there are different things. It's like, you can't, you either can't wait to get away from your family or you just, you want to be just like them. And so, uh, with him, you know, he's really kind of idolizing that family and he's really wanting to be a part of it. And that aunt really doesn't want him to be, that aunt wants him to get out. Um, but either way, like the, the, um, it, it's going to impact him and he's not going to escape. Nobody escapes the family, you know? 
and you know uh and families you know like we were talking about with like it and we were talking about with you've got this family but then you got the family that you build and you bring into yourself like the friends that become the family um and it's just the impact that these relationships have on us for the rest of our lives is just monumental and so you know that's one of the great things that Stephen Graham Jones does is just showing this family and and the way that they are coping with everything that's going on and the way that the boy is struggling with that because the boy, you know, the boy, he wants to be there. He wants to be part of the family. And then other place, you know, at, at other times he's trying to run away, like, you know, and that's just so, that's so childhood. Right. Um, and so I don't know if I answered your question at all. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You answered the question that I didn't even manage to ask. So <laughs> I love it. Uh, okay. Where do I want to take it from here? So you, you mentioned it and the kids kind of forming their own family. Um, I think that's an important lesson coming out of mongrels, uh, especially is that like your biological family isn't necessarily the family in all of these. So in it, we've got parents mentioned and we, we've had a couple of like really bad parents mentioned and whatever else. But the core of that story, you never feel like it's the parents raising those kids. It's them bonding with each other and Eddie and Ben and the rest of the group yes. helping each other through the hardest of times. But to these stories points, you don't get that. Because like you said, they're, they both happen in these very isolated spaces. In Mongols, they're isolated because they're on the move so much. Uh, and in wild spaces, they're isolated because I, I think just geography, they're isolated. Um, but when they don't have that adoptable family that they can pull from their surroundings, how does that hit a kid growing up different in your mind? So, you know, it's just, it's this, it's one of the great things about coming of age is that there is so much room in it for multiple ways of experience. So with like both mongrels and both wild spaces, um, you've got one setup, you've got, you know, the isolation, which is something that some people experience growing up. They're very isolated, right? Um, and then you've got the other kind of stories where you've got the, the kids and you've got the families and uh, the ability to be able to like lean on each other is very good. And I think in mongrels, they also have the ability to kind of lean on each other. Um, it's just uh, not friends, right? Um, and what happens in wild spaces is a little different, but um, it's, it's all just like family. You know, we're, we, we, we build families throughout our lives. We build going back to the dogs, right? Like, like dogs are, um, they're family animals, right? They're pack animals. And so it's all about kind of building these connections and building these families. And so when we don't get it in one space, we're going to find it in another space. Uh, so to that point, something I just remembered about wild spaces is, and I don't think this is too big of a spoiler because it comes in the first, potentially in the first chapter. Um, but teach, teach is not a dog that they like, go out to the pound and get. Teach literally just comes out of the woods one day, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, he's just a, he's a, he's a found animal, 
right? Um, just shows up at the house and uh, looks like, you know, he needs a little bit of care, a little bit of love. And like, you know, they they put out the wanted posters or not wanted posters, but, you know, the found posters and uh, harking back to my neo-noir days there. <laughs> like, But yeah, the found posters and, um, uh, you know, they are uh, end up keeping him because nobody claims him. So, yeah, yeah, just wanders out looking, you know, looking for that connection, maybe. So, yeah, yeah. Um, one of those things where the world kind of provides what you need when you don't even know that you need it. Yeah, um, absolutely. So let's let's get into. I think this is the last the last kind of path I want to take us down. Um, mm-hmm. Let's get into the body horror aspect of this a little bit. So, okay. Um, without getting too into the specifics of um, wild spaces, especially because I think the way that um, the the terrors manifest in wild spaces and seeing that unfold for yourself mm-hmm. is super important. Um, no spoilers for for the second half of that book on this podcast. Um, mongrels, it's a little bit more in your face. The body horror is there every single chapter. Yeah. Um, but um, what what is the connection here with body horror and coming of age tales? Because in every single coming of age horror story I can think of, there is a disfigurement scene or there is a morphosis, metamorphosis scene. I don't know if I'm using <laughs> that phrase correctly. Uh, there is some sort of a transformation taking place. And I, I think this is maybe a little bit obvious, but do you want to take the ball here for us? Sure. Um, you know, I mean, like, you know, of course there's puberty, right? There's puberty. And uh, so our body changes. And again, it goes to that kind of like lot, you know, there's no control. You have no control over what's happening with something that is such an integral part of you, right? Like we can control our body in so many ways. If we're lucky, you know, we can tell it to, uh, walk down the stairs or we can pick up a phone, you know, but then like you experience this loss of control or this loss of thing, like your voice starts to crack, right? Or your body starts to change. And like, you know, you suddenly, you know, like, uh, you know, for, for like feminine presenting folks, like, you know, it's like, if you start growing really fast and you get really tall or like you start developing curves really early, like all of this is very, dis it's very dis um disillusion not disillusioning what's the word i'm looking for um discombobulating you know like it's just like you have no control over your body um and it's something that is so very like like if we think about bodies we are judged a lot on our bodies right just how we look and how we present and so this having this thing that is such an integral part of us that is going through these changes that we can't control. And then like, if those changes are things that are seen in our culture as being undesirable, then like it becomes this, this thing and you can't get away from it. You know, you can't get away from it. And it's like, you know, if you develop a a chronic illness or if you develop something, it's like your body just completely changes. What you can do changes. And there's just this sense of this, this loss of, of what you knew and, you know, you're going into new territory. And so if we think about that, if we carry that to the extreme, 
and we think about that in the form of like being monstrous then you know because bodies are also gross like they do gross things and so you know if we can be a little indelicate you know they they you know they bleed they you know you you snot you weep you know all this kind of stuff and um like it's just this thing that is so integral to us and yet it is mysterious in ways that we because we don't always understand we don't always understand what's happening and so just taking that and looking at the social implications and the way that we are perceived so heavily based on our bodies. Um, I think it's just, it's a ripe, ripe area for body horror. Um, when we go into wild spaces or we go into mongrels, you know, and we're dealing with these changes that we hope will come because, you know, you're going through puberty, you know, it's like, you know, there's part of it's like, I want to grow up and I, you know, you all this kind of stuff, you know, and then, um, but then things happen and it's weird and it's awkward and it's, you know, all of this. So uh, it's just absolutely the perfect setting for body horror. So, yeah. And it's like, it's so painful too. like these transformations yes. and people don't. So again, bringing it back to my kid, he's, he's getting taller right now. And that's like the most basic of the body transformations, right? He, he's just <laughs> really fast, but he keeps waking up in the middle of the night, coming into our room because oh. his, his yeah. legs hurt. Yeah. I totally forgot that was a thing. Uh, yeah. I, I forgot that growing pains were real. Um, yeah. And, and like, even the people that have gone through these transformations, like we forget how brutal it is. We forget how confusing it is when you don't know what's going on. You just wake up and things hurt. Like, yeah, for all he knows, his legs are about to fall off. Like, <laughs> yeah. um, but it's terrifying. And then you get to couple that with the, those internal changes with changes mm -hmm. to your external world also. Yeah like in wild spaces, the introduction of the grandfather and everything that comes along with that, that you are also confused by and also have no control mm -hmm. over. It's yeah. just this perfect vortex for a horror story. And I think that's why I love this genre so much um, is because it does all of the heavy lifting for us. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, not only that, but like it's a pivotal time in our life, right? And so it is something that everybody remembers being that age. You know, you remember that age. You remember the joy of it and also the awfulness of it. Um, and everybody can relate to it. You know, everybody can relate to it. So when you're writing about that, you know, people are just like, oh, yeah, I remember that. You do that, you know, you do it right and you bring in these things. And it's like, you know, it just brings back that kind of that nostalgia. There's always a bit of nostalgia in coming of age horror um, because it is something we all experience and it's just universal. Um, and it's just ties into our, I think, our subconscious so strongly. So maybe a bad joke, but I, I've got a friend that constantly refers to the middle school years as just shared trauma. Nobody likes <laughs> yeah. middle school. It's just shared trauma. It's yeah. just a thing we all go through. So it's like, yeah. 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 I, you know, and for, for some that extends into high school, you know? And, yeah. <laughs> right. So we, we've talked about a bunch of different stuff here. Um, is there anything we've missed about coming of age horror, anything else you'd like to dig into about 
wild spaces or mongrels or creation myths or any other um, coming of age horror uh, stories that you think would be worth bringing up for a minute? Um, you know, I mean, it's just, I think, you know, the only other thing about that is just discovery. Like it's all about discovery. Um, and, uh, anytime that you have a secret, you have a story like, because secret, you know, secrets always lead to drama. So whatever that secret is, whatever it is that you're discovering that was, whether it was intentional or not, is a secret for you, um, because you didn't know it, like, there's a potential for drama and there's a potential for just the finding out of this secret and however that happens. Um, so uh, I think that's really kind of the only thing we didn't hit on too much, but um, you know, it's that discovery piece. So. Yeah. Let's sit on this for a minute. Cause I think there's something really good here. When you're a kid, you don't know anything. So everything you're, everything you learn is a new discovery. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's so interesting when you're a kid, it's like, you know, uh, speaking from my adult self here, but like, it's, it's, you don't know anything, but you're so sure that you know everything. And you're so sure that you know everything because what you know is so small. <laughs> so like, it's like, you know, there's just not that much to know because this is what you know. It's like, yeah, I know everything because, you know, here it is, you know, because you don't have this, this wider view of the world. And so, you know, just this, this potential for like finding out whatever it is, you know, it, 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 it can rock your world, whatever the discovery is. Um, so it's like prime, prime territory for story. I like the idea that when you're a kid learning new stuff, some of it is so exciting and great and wonderful. And some of the stuff you discover is horrifying and bad and you wish you never learned it like what are yeah. hot dogs made of oh no put that information back I just want to enjoy hot dogs again yeah. um, things like that <laughs> yes I I like with coming of age horror stories because you can take a group of adult readers and give them that experience again yeah at the outset of wild spaces you do not know where that story is going and then as the layers get peeled back and the horror gets revealed and you, you, you kind of see where the trajectory is, it's like, oh, oh, no, 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 no. Put the hot dog back in the fridge, please. I like the hot dog. Yeah. <laughs> you can kind of give them that experience again like they're a kid. And it kind of beats mm -hmm. the nostalgia factor that you were talking about. Yeah, most definitely. You know, most definitely. Like, And we all have those moments, right? You have, you know, you, you you have the thing like the pirates that you are discovering about and you're learning about and it's so interesting, but then you have these horrifying moments where you discover something about the world, you know, like I remember watching, I was really young and I probably shouldn't have been watching whatever it was on TV. I have no idea what it was, but it was like based on a true story and it was something about like somebody getting hit in the head so hard that their brains came out. And that was like what they said, the brains came out. And I misunderstood it to be the braids, like somebody braided their hair, like the braids came out. And I was sitting here just kind of going, the brains, like just puzzling over that. Like for days, I puzzled over that. And then when it finally struck me what they actually said, I was just absolutely horrified that somebody's brain could come out of their head. Like that just terrified me. And so like these little discoveries, you know, that just kind of like, it just, it's like a little atom bomb in your brain. And oh my God, this is something that can happen. 
you know, um, and you're learning about, you're learning about life, you're learning about death, you're realizing the, the, the horribleness of, of life and, and, you know, it's, it's, um, well, that ended really bleakly there, but um, like the horribleness of life, but like, the, the, you know, the fact that like everything dies and, and that is, that is also a very reoccurring theme that you see in coming of age horror is the discovery of death and, and like, like the body is the discovery of death, right? Cause you've got the, you got the kid who is like, his brother has died and he's feeling that through his family. Right. And then, you know, they, they've got this body and it's all about, you know, this discovery of how life can end. Um, and so that's also something I see quite a bit in coming of age horror. It's just this discovery of that life ends. So. Yeah. Gr grappling yeah. with mortality in the middle of this transformation. Yeah. Maybe yeah. the last time you want to really become aware of mortality is when you are hurt <laughs> and you're not sure what's happening. Yes. Yes. You know, absolutely. You know, yeah. That is a really bleak spot to end up. I know, right? I was like, oh man, that is not the place to bring this to, Shaw. I structured this differently. I might, I might edit it and just throw the dog bits in here. Okay. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's end on the dogs. Dogs are good things. <laughs> um, well, okay. So Shaw, this was a lot of fun getting to getting to hear all of this from you, getting to know you a little bit. For all of the listeners, um, if they want to A, pick up Wild Spaces, when is it coming out? Where can they find it? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so Wild Spaces is coming out August 1st um, and you can find it uh, any, you know, anywhere that you can find books. So, you know, yeah. So libraries, libraries, you know, bookstores, you know, uh, love independent bookstores. If you've got one, like definitely see your independent bookseller, Amazon too, you know, yeah. And then uh, for you personally, um, if reader or if listeners want to reach out, uh, do you have socials you'd want to talk about or? Uh, yeah. So I am on Twitter. Um, like my, I'm it's Rock Coney, R-O-C-K-C-O-N-E-Y. Uh, zero one. Um, not too active on there, but uh, I am there. Um, I have an Instagram. There's lots of, there's uh, lots. I think I'm just there. SL Coney is, is how you find me there. Uh, lots of pictures of my dogs. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, there's uh, my website, which is also slconey.com. Uh, and you can always send me a message that way as well. So. All right. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on the episode uh, again. Yeah. So much fun. Thank you for letting me read a bunch of new coming of age horror. I appreciate it a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Listeners, thank you also for joining us. Uh, this closes us out for the week, but please, before you go, don't forget to like or subscribe or go full wolf howling at your streaming service of choice and stay spooky. Coroners tied bells to everybody in the morgue, so if they heard a ting, they knew somebody down there wasn't quite ready to go. Mm -hmm.